Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. All right, good morning, guys. How are you? Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's true. But people already have their lights up, you know. Go on walks, get that warm, fuzzy feeling. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. Um, and like Robert mentioned, today's the first week that we're celebrating Advent. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about Advent and the context of identity and hope. Um, Back when I was in college, I went to a, a tiny little school in Wisconsin, and I went there with, the, I, w- I went to play football, that's why I went to this school. Um, yeah, and it was, yeah, I was going to go ahead and just get it off the table. Please don't ask me afterwards if I played kicker. That's normally the comment I get. No offense to any kickers out there. Um, I did not play kicker. Um, I didn't have a good enough leg. <laughs> Uh, so, I, yeah, I went up there to play football, and I loved it. And I think, you know, my life from the outside looking in at that point, if I'm honest, and probably what I wanted other people to think about my life was that I had it all going on, right? I was at this, like, tiny little Christian private school, really small campus, and I was, like, I was the quarterback of the football team, and I was the new guy, right? So, People were like, oh, who is this guy? You know, I'm like, oh, people don't know me. They probably think I'm cool, right? So I, I had that going for me. And I, w- I remember I was dating this girl and like things in my life were just going really well. Like I had kind of built my life in this way where I felt like in some ways other people thought I had it going on, right? Like I, my life looked put, put together. Um, and I remember a couple weeks before my sophomore season, I was doing some training at home before preseason camp and blew out my ACL, had, this, had to have surgery, and actually ended up not going back to school, stayed home, and took online classes and did the rehab and would like listen to the radio and watch my friends play um, on, on video, on live streams and stuff. And so I had that taken away from me. I got back to school the next semester and this girl ended up breaking up with me. And for a college kid, I mean, basically my entire world just fell apart in like two things, right? And so I was in this like deep, dark place. And I remember asking the question, if I'm, if, if I'm not these things, then who am I? Because so much of my life had been built on, my identity had been found in sports. Like I remember in high school, like really feeling like how my week went depended on how I played on Friday night, right? Like everything sort of hinged on these things and my, it was felt like an, emotion, an emotional roller coaster. And in college, I was actually probably down here more because we lost a lot of games in college. Um, but anyway, 
all these things taken away from me, and I was forced to ask this question, man, if my identity is not in this game, if it's not in this girl, if it can't be found in people, then who am I and what am I doing with my life? I think this question of where is our identity found, who, who are we, what are we meant to put our hope in, is a question that I want to address this morning. And we, we've heard already from Jeremiah and from Isaiah this hope that the people of Israel had in a coming Messiah, that one day God would make everything right. And I want to look at the, at the book of Micah today and, and read from a few passages And here's a little context about what's going on with Micah. Micah is actually a peer. Isaiah is prophesying at the same time as him, so the same things are going on in the world. Um, Things are bad in Israel. Things are not going well. The nation's divided. And the people of Israel have chosen to live and be in the world in this way that is opposite from what God has called them to be. Right, God has called them to be this people set apart who image for the rest of the world what it looks like to be human, but they're no longer doing that. They've been influenced by the surrounding countries and they've been corrupted and now they're just kind of doing their own thing, hoping for and finding their identity in the same thing that these other countries are finding their hope in. Remember, in, in Micah, there's this, there's this famous passage to, um, what is it, to... Love, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. These, the people of Israel had abandoned that way of life uh, for violence and villainy and selfishness and greed. And so that's sort of the context we find Mike in. Mike, Micah's not this like prophet wearing the royal robes, hanging out in the palace, uh, giving prophecies to the king. He actually lives in a small town south of Jerusalem, like an agricultural town. And a lot of his prophecies are actually directed at Jerusalem, at the big city where this, the city's being built and growing in stature. And he's, he's saying, you're doing all this, you have all this growth because of your greed and the way that you're oppressing people. And so that's the context that Micah's writing in. You guys feeling the Christmas spirit yet? It's good? Okay. All right. So we're going to read in Micah 2, chapter 12 through 14. And this is just to get a sense of Micah's hope and where he's finding his identity in this tumultuous time. So Micah chapter 2 and verses 12 through 14, he says, Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land again will be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land. This one's important. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. So what Micah's talking about here is this deep hope that he had and that historically the people of Israel had had that one day God would once again become their king. And God would be the one who would lead them and rule justly and righteously. Again, in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, he says, this is, and this is fascinating, okay? Actually, Micah makes two very significant prophecies in this book. One is the destruction of Israel. It's the destruction of Jerusalem. So I'm, I'm actually going to read that too. This is chapter 3, verse 8. This is not on the screen. It says, But as for me, talking about himself, Micah, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord. I am filled with justice and strength to boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. 
Listen to me, you leaders of Israel. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. You rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. And here's the prophecy. Because of you, Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field. Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins. A thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. Yeesh, harsh words, Micah. He's not holding anything back. But he follows that prophecy with another prophecy. And by the way, that one was fulfilled 150 years later. It says, in the last days, this is right after his harsh language, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion. His word will go out from Jerusalem. The Lord will mediate between peoples and settle disputes between strong nations far away. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. Everyone will live in peace and prosperity, enjoying their own grapevines and fig trees, for there will be nothing to fear. The Lord of heaven's armies has made this promise. And finally, the last text from Micah that I'm going to read, Micah chapter 5 and verses 2 through 5. And this is where he gets pretty specific in regards to his prophecy of the coming Messiah. He says, But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, or eternal, ancient, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, then his people will live there undisturbed. For he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. So Micah takes two, makes two prophecies Fast forward 150 years, Jerusalem is destroyed. And then he immediately follows it with this other prophecy that says Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt and a leader will come from, from Bethlehem, from the line of David, who will lead there and bring peace to the whole world. We see this prophecy and some of the others that we read already this morning as we know fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. He's a descendant of David. He's born of the Virgin Mary. And he would go on to fulfill, fulfill numerous other prophecies that all of them I can't even touch this morning. But he'd heal the sick, give sight to the blind, cleanse lepers, heal the disabled, open the ears of the deaf, give a voice to the mute, exercise demons, and even resurrect the dead. He was rejected by his own people and pierced for our wrongs. Micah, in this difficult season where Israel was falling apart, had faith. He, he placed his hope in God despite the fact that as a nation, 
Israel was falling apart. The political leaders, the religious leaders were all corrupt. But Micah and a small group of people held out hope in God and for this Messiah. Fast forward to after the time of Jesus, Jesus' birth, and we see a similar hope being held by two people at the temple. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to be dedicated at the temple, and there we find two people, Simeon and Anna. And so in Luke chapter 2, we're going to read from there and read about Simeon and Anna and the hope that they had as well. So this is Luke 2, and we'll start in verse 22. It says, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Same hope. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon is this old guy who finds, who believes that God has told him, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so faithfully he waits, as we're talking about, this, this feeling of Advent, waiting on the Lord. And sure enough, he has this moment where he experiences his hope fulfilled in Jesus. Anna has a similar experience. She was also there in the temple. It says her husband, actually it says, she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher and she was very old. So youth students here would probably say she was about my age. If you keep reading though, it says her husband died when she'd been married only, when they'd been only married seven years. She lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was walking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Same exact hope as Micah had, that a Messiah would come and that Jerusalem would be rescued, and people from all over the world, all nations, would come to Jerusalem to worship God as the one true king. These prophecies are being fulfilled in Jesus. So we see a thread here that I, I, I want to draw out for us. A thread of Micah faithfully waiting on the Lord. When things are going bad, hoping in God, for God to be king and for the Messiah to come. Fast forward 700 years and you find Anna and Simeon waiting in the temple with that same hope hoping in God in a time when things in Israel were bad. Roman, Rome was oppressing Israel. Religious leaders were corrupt, putting burdens on the poor to where unless you were the religious elite, you couldn't find your way to God. 
but you find Simeon and Anna faithfully waiting on the Lord. So my question for us this morning is, what does it look like for us this Advent season to find our identity and our calling and our hope in Jesus? Christmas is hands down my favorite time of the year. I love it, right? Um, I love all of it. Like as soon as December starts, it doesn't feel like a single day holiday. It's just, it's an experience, right? And I look forward to it. I, since I was a kid, I've loved the movies. I mean, I love the anticipation of Christmas morning. Um, I love the music. I, I love all of it. It's great. Um, this year, you'll find me, you know, I'm excited to chop down the tree, to decorate it, and to crack open that first carton of eggnog while we decorate the tree and listen to Christmas music. It's like one of my favorite experiences. This year, as has happened every year since I, as long as I can remember, I'll watch It's a Wonderful Life and I'll cry every time, right? Every time. Um, and as has been tradition since I've been married, Marianne will fall asleep in the first 10 minutes and I'll just watch it by myself. It's a, it's a true Christmas tradition. But I love, I love Christmas. I love it. I love being with family. But if we're honest, we all know that there are parts of Christmas that have become a little messed up, right? It's evolved into this thing that it's not supposed to be. It can be stressful. It can be so ruled by the gods of consumerism and materialism. In fact, when you look at a lot of what Christmas has become and a lot of what our culture has become in many ways, it's not that different from what Micah was facing. When you read the book of Micah, he, he lists off sins uh, and rebellions of the people of Israel. Consumerism and materialism could be tied in there. Idolatry, oppression of the poor, corrupt religious leaders, dishonesty, greed, violence, becoming more like the surrounding culture than who God has called us to be, hope and identity in all the wrong things. Sound familiar? Christmas can be a season when we're drawn into all of these things, the hustle and bustle, the rush, the busyness, the demand and consumerism, and it can create more stress than it can peace. Now, my guess is that most of us are not opposed to a simpler, slower, more peaceful Christmas. Am I right? Like, none of us long for the rush and the busyness or even the stuff. I think we just get drawn into it. So the challenge for us is, is if, if, that we are not, if we are not intentional with how we approach Advent, then from experience, we often know what can happen. We can get trampled by crowds of Black Friday shoppers, which happened to me yesterday. I went out to get coffee and totally forgot on Friday that it was Black Friday and it was craziness. You can get drowned in seas of sugar-filled peppermint mochas. You guys know what I'm talking about. And it just becomes this craziness that's all about spending and buying and pleasing and being pleased. We all know the feeling. And our hope slowly gets placed in things other than Jesus, other than the Messiah. Instead of Advent being a time where we focus on reflection, on anticipation of the Messiah and his second coming, we get lost in the mess. So I have a 
a proposal. <laughs> it's, it's maybe not the most Advent proposal these days, but historically, fasting has actually been a common practice as part of Advent. Um, it's maybe not the most Christmassy thing, especially for those of us that love eggnog and stuffing and turkey. But fasting, unlike any other spiritual discipline, has the capacity to provide clarity as to what we are putting our hope in. As soon as we start to abstain from things that we love or that we think that we need, we begin to realize that our need for those things or our desire for those things are a little out of balance. Fasting is an opportunity to turn our hunger for food and our desire for things towards God. Rightly so. So often these days, we can take the stuff, whether it's Christmas or any time of the year, but the stuff, the food, the hustle, the bustle, the rush, the music, the sounds, the demands, and the things that we want, and use it all as a salve to cover up the wounds of our heart, the brokenness that we want to hide, the weakness just like I did, just like I did with football and people and things. We can, we can use things to hide our wounds, to cover our brokenness. Abstaining from stuff and food in a month-long celebration of excess culturally is an opportunity to resist the gods of materialism and consumerism and put our hope in the long-awaited Messiah. So here are a few ideas that I'm going to throw out at you. Maybe, maybe we could fast from food. Maybe you could fast for a meal once a week, maybe a day a week, to turn our hearts towards hunger and anticipation for the long-awaited Messiah, just like Micah, just like Simeon and Anna. What if we maybe sacrificed within our families a gift like one less gift for everybody and we take that money and use it towards a cause or we, we donate it, we give it to someone who actually needs it. What if maybe we even did something like that as microchurches where we sacrifice one gift within our family and put our money together so that we can give money towards the kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Someone maybe who is lacking during the season. These are just ideas God can give you a vision for how he wants you to live differently. But I know, I know, I know that if I do not approach this season with intention, that I won't have the focus that Micah had and the hope that Micah had. I won't have the focus and anticipation that Simeon and Anna had. But I'll get caught up in the mess, the hustle and the bustle. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the band to go ahead and come up. And actually, no, you can stay. Just kidding. Just kidding. I got you. We're going we're gonna to break up into some groups for a minute, okay? We're going to break up into some groups and we have some discussion questions. And if, you're, if you have folks from your microchurch here, I'd love for you to break up with folks in your microchurch. If you're not in a microchurch, that's okay. Just jump into the group that's closest to you. And I want you to work some of these, through some of these discussion questions together, okay, and talk about what it could look like to focus our attention on Jesus in this season.
through fasting. So you guys can go ahead and disperse into your groups and talk about it. All right, if the band wants to go ahead and come back up. Now, I'm going to throw on the screen for you guys a list of resources. Um, We'll also put these on the show notes in the podcast once that gets uh, uploaded. But these are some, uh, some resources that if you are moved by this, if you want to consider thinking about ways to fast during the Advent season, um, these are some great resources that I found in my preparation that were really helpful for me. Um, and so yeah, again, those will be available online at some point and maybe on social media as well. So we are now going to take some time to enter into communion together. Um, so... As the band begins to play, you can walk up the sides and take communion um, and go back to your seats and have it with your families or with yourself, however you'd like to do that. Uh, But let's go ahead and pray to enter into communion and then we'll begin. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the way that you love us and care about us. And God, in this season, I just ask for our community, for us as a people, God, as your people, that we would know who we are, that we are your people, and that our hope would be in you. God, don't allow us to become like the people of Micah's day or even the surrounding culture where our hope is in stuff and things and money, but that our hope is in you, that we anticipate the coming of the Messiah, the second coming, when all will be made right and everyone will flock to Jerusalem to worship God as King. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this season. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the Connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.